This is Lockheed Marketing, the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary. Hosted by Christopher Lockhead, three-time CMO, godfather of category design, and a high school dropout, who the Marketing Journal calls one of the best minds in marketing, and The Economist calls off-putting to some. Thanks for pressing play. I sure am glad you're here. This is Christopher. And on this episode, we have a very special concept here that we're doing. It's the first time ever we have taken an episode of another podcast and dropped it here for you. And here's why we're doing it. I get asked all the time what my favorite podcasts are, and in particular, what my favorite marketing podcasts are. And um, at the top of my list is Marketing Over Coffee. And one of the co-hosts of that podcast is a dear old friend of mine, John Wall. And John's a great guy. He's super smart. And um, he and his buddy, Christopher Penn, uh, have been doing Marketing Over Coffee for a long time, and they're great. Recently, they did an episode with my buddy, the legendary author, Kevin Maney. And Kevin, as you probably know, is a multi-time successful uh, best-selling author. He's one of the co-authors of Play Bigger with me, and I love the man. And I heard John and Kevin talking on Marketing Over Coffee about um, Kevin's more, more recent book, Unscaled, which I think is a must-read. Frankly, I think Unscaled is one of the most important books of the last 10 years. So they talk about what that means and how powerful it is. And of course, category design and many other things. And when I listened to the episode, I was, um, I was really uh, taken by it. And so I sent John an email and I said, hey, John, uh, we've never done this before, but would you be open to having us drop your Kevin Maney discussion into our feed? And so that's exactly what you're going to hear. And I think you're going to love it because um, um, that's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> They're both two of the smartest guys I know. Uh, we're sponsored by my good friends at Oracle NetSuite. Visit netsuite.com slash different today. And my friends at Splunk are the leaders in data to everything. Visit S-P-L-U-N-K slash D, the number two, and the letter E. And now, Kevin Maney and John Wall. Hey ho, let's go. is Marketing Over Coffee with Christopher Penn and John Wall. Good morning. Welcome to Marketing Over Coffee. I'm John Wall. Today, we have Kevin Maney with us. We have talked all around Kevin. We have talked about uh, Play Bigger, a book that he was co-author on, and we've had Christopher Lockhead about that. We've talked with Mike Damphouse, a partner of his who does a lot of category design stuff. Glad to finally have you on the show. Yeah, great to follow my two colleagues. Now, back us up a little bit, because we've talked about all these guys. How did you get involved with both Christopher and Mike? Tell us, where do you fit in on this? Oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the short version of a very long story. <laughs> There's four authors of Play Bigger. One of them is Al Ramadan. I'd met Al 25 years ago, probably, when he was running a company called Quokka Sports. And we became friends and kept in touch all of these years. Around 2014, he, by that point in time, was doing advising to, to startups around some of the ideas that we ended up becoming play bigger. They thought they had some interesting takes on the idea that creating categories was the way to create a big bang company. Chris Al Ramadan and Dave Peterson at by that point formed together a firm to do this kind of advisory work. And they actually invited me to do a dinner one night in San Francisco and told me what they were doing. I was a journalist. I was a technology columnist and writer for 20 years by that point. 
And I was listening to their approach and their reasoning for why categories were such a big deal. And it kind of clicked with me in line with the other work in the context of things that were going on in technology and the way digital markets were changing things. And I thought these guys are onto something. And they thought, well, you know, was, let's explore the idea if there's a book there. And um, so we started to, down that road to, together, the four of us, meeting out at Chris's uh, wonderful house in Santa Cruz, California, riding our bikes to the beach in between long conversations. And over time, teased out this idea of category design, which didn't exist before we all got together and started talking about this stuff. And then knitted all of the concepts, these things that they had been already doing and testing with companies, with other concepts that I brought into the game and that we thought of as we were working, and knitted all of these together into a methodology, essentially a discipline that we dubbed category design, which turned into the book Play Bigger, which has now actually become a major hit in the entrepreneurial and venture capital community. And I, I'm an author, I'm a journalist. I thought that I'd be doing this book and then moving on to the next one. And instead, because this uh, movement was so strong and there was more demand for what we had written about than those three guys could pull off, they pulled me into it. And also Mike, who's been part of the family of these guys for a long time, has done work for these guys. In fact, Dave Peterson at one point worked for Mike long ago. So as this book generated enormous pull for this idea of category design, it ended up pulling in Mike and I. Uh, we formed a sister firm called Category Design Advisors, and then I've been doing this work for two and a half years or so, working with like dozens of companies all over the world. Right. And uh, so now the big thing that we're wanted to bring out today too, is actually you have another book coming out that covers category design specifically for the medical industry. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So to wind it back to that Play Bigger story, I was saying, I'm an author, journalist. I mean, I actually did go on to the next book, not thinking that this was going to, category design was going to be my career. And I, I started working on a book called Unscaled that I co-authored with Haymont Tanasia. And Haymont is the managing director for General Catalyst, one of the most successful VC firms out there. So we ended up doing this book called Unscaled, which was about how all of these new technologies that we're inventing almost all at the same time, uh, artificial intelligence and 3D printing and genomics and uh, these, these world-changing technologies and how they are all coming together to uh, allow us to take apart these um, scaled up industries that we built in the 20th century and do them and reinvent them and do them in a new way. And there was a chapter in that book about the healthcare industry and how this unscaling process was going to impact the healthcare industry. So that book came out, I don't know, maybe it was a year and a half or something like that, two years ago. And then we got together with a guy named Steve Clasco, who's the CEO of Jefferson Health, one of the bigger healthcare systems in the country based in Philadelphia. And Steve and Haymont and I took that, essentially took off from that healthcare ch chapter and unscaled to write a, it's kind of a, it's actually more of a short book. Like we actually call it a manifesto. It's about 60 pages long, describing how all these new technologies can take apart the old healthcare system, which was really based on taking care of people after they were sick. And that's the way the health, that healthcare system, the old healthcare system makes money is by taking care of sick people and how technology can create a new industry that's built to keep people healthy and out of sick care and still do that profitably you know, at scale in a way that changes everybody's lives in a way that um, we haven't seen in healthcare in a long, long time. 
And so this, this new book describes this version of healthcare. And we're actually putting the book, the release of the book on hold because for, you know, for maybe a month or two, because everything we describe in the book is about what we're going to, is, is what we're about to see happen in healthcare driven by this uh, coronavirus that is going to accelerate what we're talking about in the book. And so we had finished the book like just before all this hit, and we're going to have to take another look and adopt it to what's about to happen over these next couple of months. We have to pause just for a moment to thank WordStream for their support of Marketing Over Coffee. During this very challenging time, our partners at WordStream are here to help businesses and marketing agencies succeed and grow. WordStream is your one-stop shop for cross-platform online advertising across Google, Facebook, Instagram, and Microsoft ads. With their powerful software and expert team of consultants, you can simplify online advertising management to save time while growing business results. Whether it's through educational content, strategic consultation, or their software and consulting services, WordStream has support they'd like to offer you all. Visit wordstream.com slash MOC to see the special offer that they have for our listeners today. The offer will be changing as the campaign here goes on, but for right now, it's a free consultation and 14-day trial, so you can get right in and use it, and you've got to check it out. I mean, if you've done any online advertising and had to jump from platform to platform, you know, in every interface to burn up your whole day, it's just a huge headache. WordStream makes it easy for you. It gives you the seven tasks to take care of for the week, you know, about 20 minutes worth of work, and it gets you on track and lets you get free to do other stuff. You don't want to be spending all of your time just managing your online ads. You want to be running your business and being in front of your customers. WordStream can make that happen. So again, check it out at wordstream.com slash MOC, and we thank them for their support of the show. Wow, that's incredible. So I didn't realize that I, you were talking about category design and how that gets applied, but everything you've done before is kind of like, okay, as you're looking at your new idea, here's category design and how this works into it. But if you're talking about a reimagining of healthcare and where the focus is, do you see the existing healthcare system being able to apply this and, and move or does it need to be built from scratch and created from scratch? What's the story with that? I'll describe a little more about it, I say, but just to answer that specific question, one of the reasons we did this with CEO of a traditional healthcare system and a Silicon Venture of capitalists who invests aggressively in new healthcare technologies is because we believe the only way that this is going to happen is if those two pieces come together. Silicon Valley has been investing in healthcare tech for a decade and really has, has only been on the fringes of the healthcare industry. It's not really making a huge impact in the way we get inexperienced healthcare. And the healthcare industry invests in a lot of technology but they tend to invest in technology that just lets them do the old things they used to do more efficiently and save money and save costs. So it's not really changing our experience either. And both of these sides have to come together and work together to, to really change the way this works. So we're calling this new category, instead of health care, which has a, all this connotations for people nowadays, and, and it really is, as we say, it really is sick care. It's really an industry built to take care of people after they get sick. And we're describing this new category that we're calling health assurance. And the idea of health assurance is that technology, consider all these things with everything from Fitbits and IoT devices that can, you know, can read all of your body functions and things like AI that can take all of that data in and also get to know your routines and start to understand who you are so that software can actually understand your particular health and watch for patterns and watch for changes and try to guide you through life to do certain things or take certain medications and 
in a way that that helps you to stay healthy and stay away from sick care rather than treating you after you get in. And I mean, this is a very surfacey kind of description of this, but it just even with what I said there, just imagine if that were in place and existed at the time of something like this hitting. And we're all worried about, you know, there's no test, there's no way to know, you know, if you're starting to get coronavirus or if people are panicking. But if something like this had been already in place and working and millions and millions of people were using it, the system itself would be able to tell you that you were starting to get sick um, and, or tell you that you started to have the signs of this and what to do rather than having us all sit on pins and needle wait and then, and then have to run to a doctor and see and, and explore ourselves further. So that's just a very small way that this is, this is going to have an impact. Yeah. And how about the economics of, of this kind of thing too? Do you get into that at all as far as like, like how this might work and what's going to have to change to get to this new point? There's several pieces of the economics. Understand that this isn't like some pie in the sky kind of thing. I'll use an example of there's a, there's a company out there called Livongo, L-I-V-O-N-G-O. And Livongo was originally built for people with diabetes. And the insight was, you know, that diabetes is something where, you know, you, everybody gets diagnosed and classified. You have type one or you have type two, and they're just like these two big buckets and the treatments are pretty much the same for both. And you go to a doctor a few times a year to get checked on and, and some advice. And, and in the meantime, you're kind of around your own and you're taking, you're watching your blood readings and, but, you know, you're still going to end up with episodes and you en- end up in the emergency room a few times a year. And it's just a, terrible way to help people manage their condition. So Livongo comes around and says, okay, we're going to send you this wireless device that can take your blood readings um, and feed the data up into the system and an app that goes on your phone. And in the background, a whole lot of machine learning and AI that's, that's taking in this data and also doing things like constantly asking you questions, especially when you first sign up through the day saying, you know, uh, just little things you can answer quickly. Are you feeling tired now? Um, are you hungry? Are you lightheaded? And the system starts to get to understand, not you as a type 2 diabetes person. It just understands you as an individual and what your patterns are. What, what starts to happen is the system takes over and take, takes the worry off of your shoulders of what do I have to do today to make sure my diabetes is managed. It actually can start to tell you okay, you need to get something to eat at this point in time. You need to exercise. Or, um, you need to see a doctor because I can see an episode is coming. And so it becomes a proactive way to manage diabetes. And what Livongo has found, it's actually been, a, it's actually approached instead of, it's always hard. One of the big barriers is, right, it's always hard to get to an insurance company to pay for some kind of thing like this because they don't know how to bill for it. So instead, Livongo has gone to, say, you know, a Walmart, and I'm not sure if these are the exact ones who have bought it, but I'm saying like a big employer like a Walmart or Exxon or something like that, and said, if you pay for this for your employees, you're going to save 20% of the cost of taking care of your diabetic population, and it will more than pay for itself. And that's proven out. And so more and more companies have been buying into Livongo to provide to their diabetic population because even well, they, even if they're paying the longer for it, it, they're saving enormous amounts of money on the other end. And it's proving that this proactive way of dealing with your health at scale using software can really work. And it's just a tiny little slice of an example of how it could actually be applied to, you know, to all of us in our everyday lives. This episode is also brought to you by Trust Insights. Do you trust your web analytics? 
Your analytics should be telling you what content to create, what pages need updates for SEO, and which marketing programs aren't working. If that's not the case, we have an 11-point checkup so you can see what needs to be fixed so you can get to actionable insights. Check it out at our link in the show notes or just reach out to me on Twitter at John J. Wall, J-O-H-N-J-W-A-L-L. Thanks, and let's get back to the show. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, I've seen tons of things how, you know, once you get all the way to surgery and long-term recovery, it's like hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. So anything you can do, you know, under $10,000 earlier in the cycle just has huge ROI. It's just obviously the, the way to go. Yeah. And, and what's already happening, what's beginning to happen now, we're doing this interview on St. Patrick's Day. A lot's going to change probably by the time that this even comes out. But where we sit in St. Patrick's Day is we're starting to be told to use telehealth. That if we start to have you know some feelings of being sick, that don't just rush to your doctor, but instead use one of these apps that allows you to talk to a doctor on, by video and have that conversation. I believe that that's going to be the beginning of people really getting comfortable with this kind of way of, of consuming healthcare. And in fact, it should be. There should be this whole idea of a layer before primary care that's this kind of virtual, ongoing, all the time, medical person in your pocket kind of thing that preempts probably, you know, 50% of the doctor visits that anybody ever, ever has. It's just no reason for that not to happen at this point. And something like this with telehealth is going to accelerate it and make people start to realize that. That's the story with the new book. Now, you did mention Unscaled before we got into the, the book between. And tell us more about that. What's the, the big idea there? Well, the big idea is that the reason it's called Unscaled is because we point out, like historically, in the 20th century, the way to make a, a lot of money, a great business, was to gain economies of scale. And that meant you know mass production, mass manufacturing, mass media. The idea that if you could find a way to make a huge amount of the same thing for the most people, that was the path to the greatest profits. I mean, what that ends up meaning, if you work that backwards, is that the best, the most successful products were the most generic, one-size-fits-all, appeals-to-everybody kinds of products, instead of being products that were specifically designed to please you as a person. That was the way we conducted business in the 20th century. We built these giant corporations and these huge factories and huge distribution systems, and all you know, seeking economies of scale. Now we've got this new era when, you know, just much as I described about healthcare and these apps and software and technology, being able to get to know you as an individual and serve you as an individual um, profitably because it's in software first anyway, even if a human eventually is behind that. If you imagine that happening in industry after industry, say banking or say education or, you know, even consumer products where technology can increasingly serve you as an individual, understanding what your ones are as an individual and interact with you as an individual. Most of us would prefer that to something that was made for everybody. We would want something that's, that's really made just, just for our particular taste or our situation. And so as the technology gets developed to do that, and a lot of it is driven by AI and, you know, the ability for machine learning software to, to, to learn these things about us. Scale starts to become less and less appealing. The idea of unscale, of serving it, each individual and taking that old industry apart and putting it back together in a new way it is what we're seeing happening in, in business after business. And another thing that's going on right now 
whole um, colleges are closing and sending people home to take classes online. This is another going to be another accelerant on the way things are going to go about to change. Khan Academy, which um, has been around for a while now, and some other upstarts in the education space are already there with online courses that use artificial intelligence to interact with the person using that app and understand exactly where your learning is and go faster or slower depending on what your style is or understand what you're not understanding and bring in another course that helps you understand that thing. And it can actually educate you as an individual by understanding you as an individual. Whereas you go and you sit in a college class in a lecture and you're getting the same class that another 25 or 200 people are getting. I think that this is going to accelerate this thinking of, I mean, how many parents are thinking, you know, well, heck, if my kid can get the same education for a semester <laughs> by going online as, they, as when I paid $35,000 to some school, why am I paying $35,000 to some school? I mean, of course, there's other reasons. And, you know, you go and you have a good time at college and you meet people and you know, this whole other thing. But nonetheless, in terms of just education, we're going to start being very aware that there's this unscaled way of doing education that is, in terms of sheer learning, is as good or better than sending you to a college to sit in a, on a campus and get the same education as everybody else. We're going to see, again, it probably accelerated by what's happening over these next few months, this concept of unscaled education taking on a new life and changing a lot of people's views about the value of college. And, and that's, you know, college was a scaled experience. This type of online artificial intelligence, individualized learning is a good example of an unscaled experience. And we're going to get more and more of that and less and less of the scaled experience. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see how that uh, is just a better model and more efficient. It is, we've seen the same thing too. Just in the past week, I've seen so many people talking about working from home. I mean, I've been from home for years, but I had kind of forgotten that there's still so many people that commute to work and this whole idea of are they more productive or not from home, you know, having this forced upon them now, it's going to be interesting how this changes the culture and, and where it moves. Oh, absolutely. One other topic I wanted to ask you about too, I had heard that you are actually one of the preeminent experts on IBM and the history of the company <laughs> or what goes on with it. Tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah, history would be the right word. Uh, I wrote two books about IBM. I wrote one that was a biography of Thomas Watson, the guy who built IBM, called Maverick and His Machine. And then uh, maybe eight, 10 years later was IBM's 100th anniversary in 2011. And so I co-authored a book called Making the World Work Better, which was kind of a historical look at the, at the big things that IBM invented over the, over the 100 years. Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of the unofficial the unofficial IBM historian out there, especially of the earliest days. What else is on your radar too? I mean, you have been at the forefront of tech for years as far as documenting and keeping an eye on everything that happens in the industry. What kind of stuff are you excited about for this next year? I tend to look at almost everything anymore uh, through the lens of, of either category design or unscaling. And because I, I do believe that those are, the, those are two things that are going to drive technology and create the, the most interesting technology companies of the next decade. It's going to be the companies that that define and build new categories that we've never seen before. And the new categories that are becoming more and more sort of available to define and build and change the way we do things are going to be because of the dynamics that we described at Unscale. 
I truly believe we are at a moment in time when enormous industries are going to change and we're going to see things done in an entirely new way. Now, there, there's an analogy that we bring up in the Unscaled book. We say, if you look back around 1900 to 19, roughly 1900 to 1910, that time frame, or 1890 to 1910, there was this enormous burst of technological change. That was the period of time when the world got electrified. We invented the car. We invented the airplane. We hooked up the world to a telegraph and invented a telephone. It was just this this explosion of new technologies that completely changed the way we lived our lives and the way we did business. And in fact, those sets of technologies were in fact responsible for scale, for scaling up, economies of scale, because you couldn't do that without electricity to run giant factories. You couldn't do that without communication systems that linked supply chains together to to do all of this, and cars and trucks to move stuff around. So if you think of what life was like in, say, 1890 versus what life was like in 1920, 30 years later, it was just enormously different. This period of time from around, in fact, we kind of put the moment in time at around 2007 with the iPhone being introduced, that kind of being a big bang because uh, that brought in mobile technology and cloud technology, and then, you know, eventually led to all these, you know, other things like enormous amounts of data, big data and, and location data and artificial intelligence that learns from all of that data. Throw in things like, you know, huge advances like genomics going from something that cost a billion dollars to sequence one genome to something that now we can do it <laughs> with a swab from 23andMe for whatever it is, you know, $45. So we're, we're having the same kind of explosion of groundbreaking new technologies right now that we had at that moment in time. And what is going to happen is the same thing that happened 100 or so years ago is that it's going to completely change every single industry and the way we live our lives. And I I believe that that's what we're living through now. And companies that pop up that recognize that and say, we can create a new category because this this technology that's come along has allowed us to do things completely differently than they've been done before. That's where the excitement is going to be. And I will also say, it's funny that we're living through this right now because one thing, all the thing we pointed out about that technological explosion of a hundred so years ago, when things, something changes things that much, it creates enormous opportunity, but it also creates enormous stress and pressure on the system. And in that case, we ended up with, we ended up with a world war. We ended up with, oddly enough, the 1918 pandemic that, you know, killed whatever is 50, 60 million people around the world. And I can't help but wonder if this explosion is going to lead to similar kinds of global unrest and problems along with all of the opportunities that are there. And that's, you know, I kind of watch what's unfolding now with a little bit of awe about uh, wondering if that's the case. Oh yeah, I can see that happening. I mean, but it's also interesting in that how granularity is such a part of this now too. And that, you know, it used to be world wars were a big deal, but now we see two neighbors fighting in Australia. I mean, we dial it down that far that, you know, everything is visible and yeah, the, the long-term impact of that is, is crazy. And then, yeah, our, you know, our brains are used to evolving about every 10,000 years. So to have everything change completely <laughs> right, <years> exactly. <laughs> asking for trouble. So, <laughs> And you look at the attention of the society, I mean, all the, the wealth gap that's driving a lot of things and the pushback against 
globalization and technology change and stuff because people are feeling people are feeling that they're being pulled so hard and so fast into the future that they can't deal with it and that's where you get this resistance and this divide um i mean that's exactly it's exactly what happened 100 years ago and we're living through it again it's a scary time for companies um and especially if you're you're a startup and trying to get some traction but as i'm sure you know john i mean you look back at history and so many important technologies and important companies were born in rough times and down economic times I think people hunker down and think of new ideas and develop them, maybe have some more time to do that. I mean, even with the situation we have now, like we still want to, as a category designers, I mean, we still want to find and help those companies. We're actually working on a way to try to do that. I mean, it's been a process that has a bunch of people in a room and gets the energy going and, and, uh, and facilitates towards answers, which is important to do. But in these times, we're looking at ways to do this virtually, like we're doing this conversation right now, so that, uh, you know, we can try to keep some of these wheels spinning and going forward and not have everything come to a halt and, and still, you know, work on inventing the future, um, even while all this stuff is going on. All right. That's great. I will have links in the show notes to the previous interviews on category design and the books we've talked about, everything from Chris and Mike. And then as on healthcare drops, I'll be updated by info with that as soon as it's ready to go. So we'll have links to that there. And as always, you can sign up for the Marketing Over Coffee newsletter at our website, powered by Dot Digital. That will allow us to push you the links to us so you don't have to take notes or pay that much attention. As you're driving, you can keep your hands on the wheel. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. All right, that'll do it for this week. So until next week, enjoy the coffee. You've been listening to Marketing Over Coffee. Christopher Penn blogs at ChristopherSPenn.com. Read more from John J. Wall at JW5150.com. The Marketing Over Coffee theme song is called Mellow G by Funk Masters. And you can find it at Music Alley from Mevio or follow the link in our show notes. 